Welcome to another edition of the OTCB podcast. This week, we had two really good game ones. Honestly, they were great games. But we started to see some teams pull away. Jared Davis and Billy D. Smith are going to stop by. I'm also going to talk about the punch and then the other punch. And I'm just trying to figure out if I really want to see a mini game or if I'm dreading the mini game. All this week on OTCB. What's going on, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. We are getting closer and closer, figuring out who's going to be in this year's Champions Cup final. But we still got a long way to go, but we did see some fantastic games. My name is Teddy Jenner. Thank you for stopping by and taking some time out of your day or your night or your morning or who knows? Maybe you're listening to me in your dreams. If you want to get a hold of me, you can. You can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash off the crossbar. It was a interesting opening weekend, to say the least, in the National Lacrosse League Divisional Finals, and kind of how I thought things were going to go. It started on Saturday night with a game in Calgary in front of a sold-out raucous crowd at the Rough House. But it saw Saskatchewan run away with things late in that game off of a massive fourth quarter to take game one from the Calgary Roughnecks. And they outscored Calgary 8-2 to in that fourth quarter, which blew things open. And it was, I believe the most fourth quarter goals in a playoff game in recent memory. I can't remember how far that went back, what the actual year was. But eight goals in a playoff game in a quarter is impressive. And to do it running away is even more impressive because Calgary shuts them down in that period. It's a different game. However, Saskatchewan just was able to flex their muscle a little bit. Sure, three of their goals were empty netters. Take those three goals, they still lose by three. Maybe a little bit more respected, but or respectable. However, the way that game went, very similar to the way the Buffalo-New England game went, is that once Saskatchewan got that lead and they were able to stretch it by one or two goals and then they continued to stifle the Calgary offense in that fourth quarter, you could just see that the scales had completely tipped in their favor. And Calgary just didn't have an answer. And that's my worry about this Calgary club going into Saskatchewan this weekend. One, how were they going to bounce back? I don't have any worries that this team is going to be able to bounce back. I just want to know what their mindset is going to be if they fall down early. Because if you fall down early to Saskatchewan, they are a team known to be able to put foots on throats and just kill their spirit. But as we've seen this entire year in the National Lacrosse League, anything can happen. Momentum is huge in the National Lacrosse League. And... When you look at the way that this game played out, like take out that fourth quarter and how close is this game? Well, it's 8-8. And it was that fourth quarter in Saskatchewan flexing their muscle to really pull away was just an, an example of where these two teams are, in my opinion. I think Calgary is a fantastic lacrosse club. And I believe that they have the the ability and the strength and the bodies to beat Saskatchewan and get to the NLL Champions Cup. I, I think they have the people to do it. Do I think they will? Unfortunately, no. And I may hear it from some of the Calgary guys, but and I would love for them to pull, prove me wrong because I'd love to see Calgary in the final. I think it would be great. 
I think they would give Buffalo or New England a hell of a run. But I just think Saskatchewan is just that much better. And that fourth quarter is a prime example. In a coach's duel between Jammer and Mouse, Derek Keenan was able to make the adjustments necessary to get his team to find that next gear. And and unfortunately for Kurt Miloski, he just was unable to find the right tinkering and do what was necessary and have the guys do what was necessary to stem the tide and stop that quick run. You know, Saskatchewan scored three goals in just under six minutes of that fourth quarter. And Calgary was unable to recover. It doesn't help when you're giving up transition goals to Billich and Corbeil and some of the other guys, and they're running the track game that Saskatchewan loves to run. And that's going to be the thing. I talked about how transition was going to be imperative in this series last week on this show. And Saskatchewan proved me right. Like, the offenses are pretty even across the board. However, Nick Billich had two goals, but the bigger surprise was Corbeil, who had two goals and three assists. You know, he was their leading scorer along with Mark Matthews. And when you're getting transition points from guys, that can really turn the tide of games. Calgary got production in transition, but not as much as they'd like. They had opportunities, but Aaron Bold was able to deny them time and time again. And it turned out to be the winning formula for the Saskatchewan Rush. Now, there's one thing I need to talk about in that game. And that was the empty net situation. And it was brought up uh, by Grant Farhall and Ryan Ballantine on the webcast, which was after the core, after, sorry, after Jeff Cornwall scored the empty netter with 20 seconds, 27 seconds remaining to make it a 15, sorry, a 16-10 game. You know, you saw some of the Calgary guys upset with Cornwall. And Ballantine said this, Stamper said it, I said it, and I'm pretty sure most people were thinking it. If you had, you're like at that point in the game, there was under a minute to play, and you were down five. What's the point or the mindset of pulling your goalie there? I've never understood why teams still do that. You can wave the white flag. It's okay. It's okay. Especially since this is a two-game-plus series. And then for guys to go after Cornwall because he scored on the empty net because nobody checked him. Like, he was in the offensive zone for a good 10, 15 seconds, kind of floated back around. Saskatchewan wasn't really going to the net. And then he found himself right on top of the crease. Caught it, turned around, put in the empty net. Then he had three guys come after him. If you don't want to get scored late in the game when you're down five, don't pull your goalie. It's a simple, simple fact. There was no reason for Calgary to pull their goaltender there. They weren't going to score five goals in a minute. I'm sorry. It's a dynamic offense. You're not scoring five goals in a minute. It's not happening. So don't get pissed off and try to send some sort of pseudo message because Cornwall scored on an empty net that you provided him with. I didn't see anybody going after Chris Corbeil a minute earlier. So, the funny thing is, is on Monday, in the Buffalo game, the Bandits had an empty net, didn't shoot at it. And, and Saskatchewan, or sorry, and New England had pulled their goalie. Again, I, they were down five. And they pulled their goalie. Buffalo didn't shoot. And I'm okay with, with both plays. I think it was David Brock who had taken the ball deep down on the floor and could have gone to goal and sh- shot and scored, but he didn't. 
pulled out to the corner, went to kill some time, no big deal. I'm okay with both scenarios. If a team's going to score late, sure. Like, I'm not an advocate of Jeffrey Cornwall scoring there, but it was right on the crease. Turn fire, it was in the net. I was always told by coaches, especially late in games, like, unless it's a one-goal game and it's to ice things and you're under a minute, just pull out the corner, kill 30, roll it in the corner when you're done, and it's all over and done with. So I can understand. No, actually, I can't. I can't understand why Calgary was pissed off at Jeffrey Cornwall. You pulled your goalie. What's he supposed to do? Sure, he could have done, you know, he could have just got it, ran around the net and killed some more time. Of course he could have. Probably should have. But he didn't. But it's your fault for leaving the empty net. So I kind of had to get that off my chest. The game on Monday night, last night, was just as good. Um, And I need to kind of get this out of the way, I thought both games were well-refed. I thought they were really well-refereed. Um, the three-referee system kind of had worked some kinks out. Um, again, as I've said before, there's always going to be calls that are missed. That's human error, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with human error. But when blatant calls are missed is what I have an issue with. And I don't think they were any at all that I can think of of calls that were blatantly missed and so kudos to all the officials who ref this weekend for letting the guys play and just out there officiating and policing you know it, it's playoff lacrosse the intensity picks up and you have to be able to understand the situations in games and dictate what's what. And as I've always said, if you're going to call something on the first shift, you have to call it on the last shift. And if you don't call it on the first shift, you can't call it on the last shift. Consistency is key. And we had that this weekend. So nicely done by the officials. To the Monday game, which still kind of boggled my mind. But you know what? There was a pretty decent crowd, an average crowd for the Black Wolves game, and you would usually expect to see a little bit of a dip, but uh, kudos to the Black Wolves and their loyal fan base for all coming out, and and they were treated to an, another really good lacrosse game. It just, unfortunately, that one didn't go their way, but I don't think, I don't think it was as out of hand or out of their reach um, as it seemed. It was 11-8 going into the fourth quarter. And again, it was just another one of those cases of Buffalo just kind of finding a way to pull away. But New England was up 3 nothing five minutes into this game. And we're going to talk to Dane Smith in a minute, and I'll, and I'll ask, sorry, not Dane Smith, uh, Billy D. Smith, uh, Cousins, so bit of a easy mistake but not really I can't forgive myself for making that mistake um but they were able but Buffalo you know they found themselves down early and you saw New England jump out to this hot start and you're like oh wow okay like is this what we're gonna see here is New England gonna maybe put the gears to them but then Buffalo was like "Mm." they got on a power play on a major and get two goals they get a third power play goal uh, a little bit later, and they go on for a, a 5-3 lead after the first quarter. And New England was never able to get back to within real striking distance. Um, as I said, 11-8 at the end of the third was kind of the closest they would ever really get after 5-3. Um, and you just kind of, kind of like I talked about with Saskatchewan, you know, Saskatchewan was just that much better than Calgary on the night. And they were able to find that extra gear. And Buffalo just has that. They have just a few more intangibles. And this isn't a knock on, on New England because they are a fantastic lacrosse team. 
But when you watch that game and you just watch the mannerisms of the players and the body language of the players, you could just see that Buffalo was like, okay, we're not losing this game. And on the other side, New England was like, oh, crap. Like, they, there was panic mode. They were trying to f- – they couldn't figure out how to get inside on that Buffalo defense. And after shift after shift of being turned away until sort of late in that third quarter when they scored three straight, you kind of felt like, oh, this is maybe going to be a blowout. And New England just didn't have it. But after they scored those three goals to make it 11-8, you're like, okay, this is going to set us up for a great fourth quarter. Buffalo just kind of kept the grind, kept grinding and kept grinding and kept grinding. They didn't allow New England into it. And as a result, Buffalo comes away with the 15-10 win and have a one-game lead going into the second game at home in Banditland. Um, It's a short turnaround, you know, from Monday to Saturday, uh, five days off. You know, teams have... All these guys in this league have played Saturday, Sunday, or a Friday, Saturday, some sort of back-to-back. But the the Monday, Saturday can kind of throw things off. Um, Buffalo usually practices Tuesday night, so that's not going to happen. So they're not going to have a practice this week. They're going to go right to the game on Saturday, so they'll have you know a morning shoot-around. But they won't have a midweek practice like they normally do. So that could be interesting to see how they're able to react out of that. But I'm more interested to see how this New England, just like Calgary, how New England comes out Saturday night. Because if they start off slow and Buffalo is able to get some momentum early and get the crowd into the game and their defense starts playing a little more aggressive, then New England could be in for a long night because we started to see that on Monday. Is that when this Buffalo Bandits defense starts playing with confidence and Anthony Cosmo's back there making save after save after kick save, they're really tough to beat. And when they're running like the way they do, just like Saskatchewan, when they're running the way they are, not many teams can stop them. And Buffalo just flexed their muscle in that second half and just denied New England any real opportunity. Like, yes, they scored those three goals at the end of the third quarter, one was on a power play, uh, one was a transition goal, and one was an unassisted goal by Kyle Buchanan. Like, there's not a lot of five-on-five five set stuff. Sean Evans had a goal and two assists. Jordan Hall was not invisible, but he only had two assists. Pat Saunders was one of their two best players all, along with Kyle Buchanan. And if I'm Buffalo, and... And I say to my defense, if I'm, you know, Richie Kilgore, and I, and I say to my D, okay, guys, here's the game plan. We're going to do everything we can to shut down Sean Evans. And we're going to shut down Jordan Hall. And now if Saunders and the Buchanan boys want to beat us, okay, we'll let them beat us. But if we can limit Evans and Hall, then we're going to be successful. And that's what they did. They were all over Evie. They hounded him. They kept him moving. And when you can keep Sean Evans moving, like defensively moving, not him cutting to the net and being active, when he's backing away and not being able to go forward with the ball or even cutting through without the ball, when you can keep him on the back pedal, then you're going to be successful because that just throws Evans off his game. And then, unfortunately, we see what happened near the end of the game with the sucker-ish punch to Andrew Watt. Um, Canadian baseball slash lacrosse fans are liking it to the Odour-Bautista incident. kind of was. Like, if you go back and watch, which you now can, thanks to NLLTV.com, and you go back and watch that play, watch Sean Evans' right hand. Actually, watch that whole, you know, sequence. Because after the shot, he gives one slash to Watt's leg, gives him another, kind of gives him a poke, ties him up, and you can see him take the right hand off and it's cocked. Like, he is ready to throw that punch. And when he threw it, it landed right on the button 
and I'm surprised all hell didn't break loose. Because that was a wicked punch. And it was a bit of a message sender, but it was also a bit of a frustrated Evie, as we've seen over his career, that sometimes he's just unable to control that emotion. Now, the good thing is, even if he does get a suspension, which, honestly, and we had Evie on the show, and, and I have the utmost respect for him, but that deserves a suspension. Like, that's just a straight-up sucker punch. And the league will go back and review it. And if he does get a suspension, the PLPA is going to most likely appeal it. So he'll be able to play this weekend. And you know what? I'm okay with that. Because it's it's something that happened in the heat of the moment. And it was a frustrated Evie just trying to let something out. And that's how he did it. And it wasn't pretty. And it doesn't really have any place in the game. But it happened. And the league will go back and look at it. And they'll make their ruling. And who knows what's going to happen. Then later in the game, as tempers continued to boil, Billy O'Brien, I think it was during a stoppage of play, and he was going to get a penalty anyway, so he's making his way to the penalty box. And he gives an extra little check to Dane Smith, who was having some words with him. And then uh, we'll hear from him in a minute. Billy D. Smith comes in and gives him a punch right to the back. Like, that punch, it's not worse than Evie's, but at least Evie's looking at the guy. Like, at least Evans is looking right in Watt's face. I'm not sure, you know, what the point of the punch was. Um, you know, it's just, it was Billy D just kind of going out there and saying, hey, what's up, I'm here too. Nothing came of it. Um, there was rumors that O'Brien challenged Billy D after. Um, so who really knows? Only guys that are on the floor uh, know. But punching a guy in the back? That's like, Austin Powers saying, who throws a shoe? I didn't like it, and it just it just didn't do anything for me. Um, there was no real point to it, but, you know, Billy D was just trying to send a message his way, just like Evie was trying to send a message his way. Like it or not, like one more than the other, you're entitled to your own opinion, as am I. Um, so let's hear from the man. Uh, he is the Buffalo Bandits captain. He's one of the Toughest and most feared defenders in lacrosse, and the guy is just plain old mean. But thankfully enough, he gives us some time here on the OTCB podcast. He is Billy D. Smith of the Buffalo Bandits. Billy D., how are you, buddy? Good, my man. Thanks. No worries, man. Uh, first of all, I, I, what time was your travel this morning after a Monday night game? <laughs> uh, for the guys flying into Toronto, they uh, they left the hotel at four, and um, the guys flying into Buffalo, we left at five. So. We had a, a, an extra hour than them, so I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. It was, had to have been a bit of a different feeling playing on a Monday, though, right? It was, yeah. After the game, I was you know, texting some people back home thinking it was a Saturday. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it, uh, it definitely doesn't feel like a Tuesday today. What was the biggest challenge for you guys mentally to get ready for that game? Because, you know, you know, playing on a Thursday is always difficult. You know, we're used to Friday, Saturdays in this league, but Mondays is a, is a completely different piece. So, for you, what was one of the biggest challenges? Um, I, I don't really think there was one. I think the fact that we flew in so early on Sunday, it kind mm-hmm. of uh, – we kind of treated Sunday as if it were a Friday, you know what I mean, or, yeah. or if, if it, as if it was a, you know, a Sunday game. We flew in so early on uh, on Sunday, and then we got to uh, trip around Boston and went to the the Red Sox game, and then then we uh, bust back an hour and forty five minutes to uh, to the casino and had a nice dinner. So we were kind of together all day. So it didn't uh, kind of just took your mind off things. You know what I mean? So it wasn't yeah. uh, it wasn't too bad of an adjustment. I didn't find. How was Fenway? It was unreal. It was yeah. uh, it was beautiful, but uh, we had to leave after the seventh inning. So <laughs> the Sox ended up winning by one, but uh, 
we had to get back for dinner. We didn't want to eat too late. So yeah, of course. Uh, it was uh, a typical Buffalo New England game. It was tight for the first little bit, and then you guys were able to pull away. But when you guys were down three nothing, what was the message from accordingly just to get you guys composed and settled down? Um, just to try to stay the course, I think was uh, the most important thing. Um, you know, you, you get down three nothing, and it seemed like the first three four minutes of the game. Um, we knew those two power play goals, so you know we always take that as a positive as long as they're not five on fives. Right. Um, and yeah, just uh, I know I, I don't think uh, our offense touched the ball in the first uh, six minutes, so it was like, <laughs> all right, let's just uh, get out of this and just you know get our older ball and, and and see what they can make happen. And uh, thank, thankfully they they uh, they made it happen. Was there a a message sent by your defense as just how to compose that and control that offense because they are very lethal. And, you know, when you have guys like Sean Evans who can put the ball in, you guys held them to three points. But was there right. a, a message sent to the to your guys on the defensive end of, on just staying the course? Um, they're, you know, they they have a lot of depth. You know, um, Buchanan. You know, they they are Jay Hall now. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the biggest thing for us is to play the system because the system's kind of made up for everybody. Yeah. You know, obviously Evie is Evie, and you want to take you know maybe an extra step out on him. Because um, he finds that little spot where he can get a shot off. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the biggest thing with them, because they have such good secondary scoring, is just team defense. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think um, I think that's the one thing we did really well. And it always helps when you got cause in the back line making those ridiculous kick saves as he does. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think uh, it seems uh, one power play, he just kept kicking the ball back at them. <laughs> yeah. so, He's like, I was kind of hoping to hit him in the stomach so he could get the ball back. I could yeah. run off the floor, but uh, I'll take it. <laughs> You guys have a, a pretty big imposing defense. At one point late in the game, I remember seeing it was it was yourself, Priolo, and David Brock on th- two guys deep in the corner. I'm like, that's got to be pretty imposing to play against. And then when you have the speed of guys like Watt and Thornber and um, the other guys coming on the back end, Alex Keto, right. it, it really changes the dynamic of your team because you're not just a big, you know, bruising Eastern defense. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of the perfect storm, if you will. You know, we got mm-hmm. uh, we got the big solid guys, but then we got the uh, the short, stocky, strong guys <laughs> that can uh, can wheel. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it kind of changed. You know, we went from being like the big, the big, tough, um, intimidating defense to the more of a, I'd say an all around defense. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Any anybody can run the ball up. Um, and I think that's kind of uh, the most dangerous part about us is that. There's not, like, yeah, we got Keto Hill, who, you know, teams might try to take tranny away from, but there's eight other guys. Yeah. You know, I'll, yeah. Take my, I'll take myself out of that. <laughs> <laughs> there's eight other guys that will be running the ball up, and I think that's what makes us, uh, makes us uh, our defense dangerous. And is that, do you think that's sort of the, the growing trend of the National Lacrosse League these days? Is that you're still going to have some, some big monster bodies in the back end, but that, you know, two-way transition style player is becoming more the norm. Yeah, I think a hundred percent. You know, I, I think in the end, it's better for the league. Um, you know, it's more uh, more entertaining. Um, at first, I was kind of you know against it. I'm like a stay home kind of old school D guy, but um, you know, but now you have those stay home D guys that can also leg up the floor. So yeah. I think uh, any time a sport can just get more athletic in a hole is uh, is better uh, as a as an result. And there's not too many more guys athletic than Dane Smith. It's it's a treat to watch him and, and the things that he does, and, and he really helped lead you guys uh, on Monday night. But it's got to be special to watch him from the bench and, and just to see some of the things that he does week in and week out. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. You know what I mean? Like records aside, like just uh, just seeing his, his growth. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And him stay humble is uh, is is very special for me to watch. Um, it's kind of yeah, it's kind of cool to see a family member having success alongside you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, I remember, you know, I got him tickets to his first Bears game. He was 12 years old. <laughs> you know I mean? and, uh, yeah, it's just uh, yeah, it's unreal to see. And I, I you know, I, I don't even think you can totally put it together. You know, I think it'll be one of those things. And you know, years down the road, you're like, wow, was that ever special? But when you're in the moment, you're just kind of in the moment. But uh, when you step back, maybe maybe in the summer. You know, it'll set in, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I'm lucky enough to play with JT for yeah. 14 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? The greatest ever. And to see him come in and break everybody's record is just, Absolutely. uh, 
just unreal, and it uh, it just proves how uh, how unselfish and how good our, our offense has been. How important was it to get that offense going and just kind of put the pressure on? Because that was one of the the big things that I noticed is that in like you talked about that first three minutes where your offense didn't really touch the ball, but as the game mm-hmm. went on, their offense really were were pushed to the outside and weren't getting scoring opportunities where your offense started to find the the rhythm. And, and that's important for your offense, isn't it, to to have repeat possessions and to continue going yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. I think um, anytime you can go go on a run, and when they go on a run, you can you can stop their run short, so you mm-hmm. all can maybe get that extra goal to 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 kill the momentum. I think is huge. And um, our O's been uh, been great all year. Not really going on those super long stretches of not scoring. Yeah. So um, I think you know, as as a, a team, you need that. So you're not kind of in that rut. And they've been doing a great job at scoring the goals, um, not necessarily just uh, to win the game, but to, uh, to kill the other team's momentum. Absolutely. The the game you guys played at the end of the regular season, it, while it didn't mean much, it was a bit of a tone setter uh, for what would end up being this series. How important was it to put that fear of doubt in their mind with that game at the end of the year? I think it was I think it was big because you know I think both teams um, have become a, a, a different beast since when we played them earlier in the season. You know they mm-hmm. went on a huge run, we went on a huge run, so it was good to you know okay let's see what they're all about and you know let's let's prove to us that you know we're as good as we think as think we are. But uh, but in saying all that, if uh, if we don't win Saturday, it doesn't mean anything. You yeah, know what exactly. I mean? So that's the scary part about this uh, this unique uh, playoffs setup. So. You know, I remember talking to Bud after the game. He's like, "Well, if you still have a bad night, it's all over." And, and yeah, it is. All you can hope is that you you get better as a team, and it makes you better for for the next weekend. The rivalry, you know, dates back to Buffalo, Philly, and you were playing in those series. And the bad blood mm-hmm. is still there, and and we saw it kind of boil over near the end of the game with the the punch from Evie to Watt. What was the reaction from the bench when you guys saw that happen? Um. Not surprised. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're surprised. It, it, you know, it, it's uh, it's playoff lacrosse. Yeah, you know, I think we all. Um, Eddie wants to win like everybody else, and he's uh, you know, he's um, loves the game, right? He's mm-hmm. not gonna let you, you get the better of him. So, you know, it's just just battles in between the game. Um, I think uh, you know, you just, you just want to win the game. You want to come out uh, injury free and be ready for the next game. So I don't think we're it really matters just one way or another what happened at the end of the game. Um, we're just kind of looking forward to to the next game because the next game's a new game. Nothing gets carried over, and yeah. don't really want to bring that bring that back into into the new game. You just want to start a new game fresh. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I kind of have to ask you: Did Billy O'Brien have something on the back of his jersey that you were getting off for him? Oh, <laughs> just give him a nice little shot. Let him know I'm there. Everybody's making such a big deal about it. <laughs> like, there's been so much worse things that have happened in the yeah. team of lacrosse than yeah. uh, me walking up to Bill O'Brien and, and give him a little shot on his back. Not like, were there were there words? Hit him from behind. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. Uh, no, just you know, he, he's going to the penalty box and on his way there, he cross-checked Dane and uh, and Weezer. So, you know, I'm sure. I'm sure if. Uh, if, if someone did that to Evie, they would have did the same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be a short week for you guys with a quick turnaround. Uh, you guys normally would practice on Tuesday nights, but what's the plan for you guys this week with uh, a short week and a Saturday game? Um, just uh, just rest up and uh, come prepared Saturday morning for video and uh, go back to work. You know, nothing changes. Um, usually, yeah, usually we have the practice Tuesday, but I think – the way the last week's gone, everybody's kind of relieved we don't. <laughs> yeah, right. I uh, I think with the short week, I, I think the rest will help. So, in that opening five minutes of Saturday night's game in front of the uh, home fans, the band Atlanta is going to be huge for you guys. You don't want to fall down three nothing like you did this week on Monday. No, no, we got to uh, learn from that mistake and uh, hopefully stay out of the box the first five minutes of the game. <laughs> exactly. Get some momentum. <laughs> you know, the good thing is it got a man down into the game, but uh, mm-hmm. you, know, you can't uh, you can't expect that. To be able to climb out of that twice, so Billy, I appreciate you giving us some time, my friend. Uh, rest up and good luck Saturday night. Will do. Thank you very much. There's Billy D. Smith. Um, so he wasn't trying to get something off of Bill O'Brien's back. He didn't have you know a little water or someone's fingernail or anything like that. He, you know, just wanted to let him know. You know what? I'm here. And 
I, I don't think anything will boil over, but you just never know. Uh, Bill O'Brien is one tough SOB. He's probably not a guy that I would want to um, infuriate. And you just don't know if things will carry over. They could. They very well might. And you just never know what's going to happen when these two teams clash in Buffalo Saturday night in Game 2 of the Eastern Final. Like, it... It honestly wouldn't surprise me if early in that game those two guys went. I would love to see it. I don't think I'll see it. And it would get a lot of that, you know, held over tension out of the way early. But this is an important game, so there may not be time for that. When the time might happen is if we're the if we are closing in on the mini game. Um, it was asked to me, um, I think it was last night on Monday night, about penalties carrying over. Penalties don't carry over between games one and game two, but they do carry over from game two into the mini game. So as we've seen before, sometimes teams, if they realize that they are not going to win game two, or they just realize that the minigame is looming, they kind of take a different approach to things. Um, we've seen teams pull their starting goaltenders to give them a bit of a rest. Uh, we've seen teams take liberties or try to take liberties or try to engage somebody uh, in double minors to get them off the floor heading into the minigame. I remember, was it Rochester last year or two years ago, uh, when they were about to go to the mini game, and they had a penalty, and and somebody said, "Well, why don't they just score in their own net, and then that penalty will be released?" Crazy things happen when you go towards that mini game. That's why I just I don't know how I feel. Like I'm glad that the Champions Cup final would never, ever, 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 ever be decided by a mini game. I'm so glad for that. However. I think they kind of have a place here in the division finals. I would I'd love to see it be gone and it just be a straight best of three. But as we've talked about, those logistics in this league right now aren't really possible. They're working on that, but it's not possible. So the minigame is a necessary evil right now. And... We've seen a lot of them in the past few years. And they've provided a lot of excitement and thrilling lacrosse games. Because you never know what's going to happen. You know, it's like a game seven. You just don't know. Going to overtime, you, you just never know. One bad play, one bad penalty, uh, one unlucky bounce. And you can lose an entire season of work. And we've seen, you know, Calgary's upset Edmonton a few years ago to get the Champions Cup final in these mini games. It's it's crazy. And you just it has to enter your mind when you're going into game two of a series of crap. What if we gotta play this ten minute mini game after playing a full game? Because it's not like it's an overtime, even though it sort of is, because it's not sudden death. It is just basically a 10-minute minigame, full on, with penalties that carry over. That's And that's why it gets confusing for me, because if is it a minigame or is it an overtime period? If it's an overtime period, then okay, penalties can carry over. But if it's a minigame, why do things carry over? But the reason for that is, is that now teams can't take liberties with guys. So they can't go out and send somebody to, you know, hey, go two-hand Daner right now across the shins. We don't want him playing in the minigame. Take him out or fight him, do something, right? You can't do that now because then it carries over. It might still happen if you can get a star player off the floor, but teams don't want to go that route. And it's not something that we've seen. But when you go and play that minigame, it's just 
I've never played in one, so I don't really know the the actual mental feeling, but it's got to be anguish and just stressful, like for everybody. As a fan, I get stressed, and I've never had a team to cheer for in these things. But both of these series could indeed go to the minigame. Saturday night in Buffalo, also Saturday night in Saskatoon. The Buffalo game goes at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific. And the Calgary-Saskatoon game goes at 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific. And by the time that Saskatchewan-Calgary game is on, New England and Buffalo could be playing some free lacrosse. And I think, you know, as casual fans, I think we enjoy it because it just builds drama and excitement. It's just a weird way to do it. But, as I said, it, it's been great to watch these minigames. And I can't disagree with the success that they've had. Just like, you know, look at the first two games of this playoff, the playoffs that we had. The two single-game OTs, Georgia, New England, Calgary, Colorado. Like, you couldn't ask for better scenarios unless it's like, give me seven games between, all, between those two teams. And so when we go to these mini games, as much as I don't really like them, I'm going to watch. It's like a car crash. You got you want to look away but you can't cuz it's mini games just are so good. And it's just 10 minutes of all out lacrosse. And who knows? Uh, Buffalo and Saskatoon both have one-game advantages. Now they both get to go home and play on their home floor. And so they have the home floor advantage. But it's got to be lingering in the back of their head that if they have one bad quarter, one bad quarter, it's all it takes, and you'll be mini-game bound. And then who knows? Truly, truly who knows? Jarrett Davis of the Saskatchewan Rush has been to a minigame before. He's also won a Champions Cup, and he's trying to help his team get there again. He joins us now on the Off the Crossbar podcast from his home in Vancouver. Jared, how are you, buddy? Doing very well. No worries. I appreciate you just jumping on with us here this week. Uh, it was an interesting game Saturday night in Calgary. It was 8-8 heading into the third quarter, or sorry, heading into the fourth quarter. Uh, what was the message from Derek Keenan? Uh, heading into that final 15? Uh, you know, very similar message to how it always is with him. It's just to stick to the game plan and, um, and you believe in the systems and believe in what we're, we've done for the first three quarters and hopefully um, maybe we'll get a bit of a bounce and things will go our way and in that game things did and, the re, you know, the score really didn't reflect how close that game was. We got yeah. a few empty netters at the end there, but um, yeah, it was really just believing in the system and, and staying with the process there. It was a, 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 a track meet in a classic Calgary-Saskatchewan game where it was back and forth and the goaltenders were, were battling. Was there one thing that you felt that you guys were, were better than they were in that game that gave you the edge? Um, you know, it was, it was pretty tight, but there's a couple plays that maybe stick out in my head and, and Nick Bilch getting that goal late and, and really creating transition out of nothing. I think that maybe that's the one the one area that we are better than Calgary at mm-hmm. is creating transition out of uh, solid defense. Whereas yeah. some teams typically they might leak early and get breakaway passes where, you know, we have three guys who are probably the three fastest guys in the league and Billich, Cornwall and, and uh, Corbeil, and they really mm-hmm. just play good D and then outrun people. So you really yeah. can't defend it unless you're faster than them. So lucky for us, they're on our team, but uh, <laughs> that one play with the Billich was really, um, I think that might have just been the the one that kind of got us over the hump there. What's the mentality of that transition game? Like you talked about it, and everybody has the green light, but is is it something you guys are constantly working on and trying to find different ways to get that transition going, or is it just get the ball and everybody's on their horses? <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. I don't spend too much time back there, but I, I really <laughs> think that we preach. I try not to, at least. Yeah, at least, yeah. We, we really preach um, just – defense first right and if the transition comes and really I think when you play good defense 
that transition will come. When you start thinking transition first is when um, you get burned. So I think that's probably a great job of, of Jimmy, making sure that the guys take care of the responsibilities first. And then when it is time to go, they have the green light. And we've been actually getting a lot better at that um, later on in the season where guys have been making smart decisions, pulling the ball out and then using a full 30 and, and going back at them with our offense. So right now things are going really well with us and it, it just comes down to experience and, and discipline from our guys. One of the big things in that fourth quarter was getting ball possessions and, and Jeremy Thompson and Tyler Burton were having a duel all game long, but what's the importance of the role of the other four guys on the floor now that they can't, the faceoff guys are unable to carry the ball in the back of their sticks? Yeah, it's huge. I mean, really, um, with, with Jeremy, like he's he's been so good, and he's actually he he gets a lot of credit because of his name and, and the ponytail and everything. But this year has been like I think he's really been underrated in terms yeah. of just I don't think people realize how good he's actually been for us. So mm-hmm. even with that, um, with the new rule, he's still able to kind of pull the ball out, get his head up, and then make a pass with the back of the yeah. stick. I mean the guys used to take a couple steps and run with it when they got some space and Jeff Snyder was, was famous for that. But, um, you know, Jeremy's adapted really well. And, and when you really even out the playing field with using the same sticks and, and, uh, with the new rules, I think Jeremy's the guy who's really flourished in that role and just adapting. Cause it's such a, he's such a skilled guy at the face off and he's been awesome for us, but yeah, the other four guys are huge. And luckily, you know, most of the time they're 50, 50 battles and we came up with a few more than Calgary did last game. How huge was his goal to start the third quarter, like right off that draw? Like those are always big goals. I kind of mentioned it, you know, uh, on Twitter. You know, the the Robert Church goal at the end of the first quarter are always crushing goals when you score that late. But then yeah. when you come out at halftime and you know you're trying to rebuild and regain momentum, only to have Thompson score six seconds in off the opening draw, that's got to be great for you guys. You know what? That was like during the moment that was huge, mm-hmm. but. I think 20 seconds later, Calgary like banged three off, and I was like, you know, <laughs> yeah, like true. Trudy scored like our. We were celebrating like that was you know the game-winning goal, and then yeah, I think that might have actually hurt us a bit because we took our foot off the gas, and Calgary came back like with a counter punch that almost knocked us yeah. out. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it was great during the moment, but then it honestly like. I think it might have sparked Calgary a little bit more, but um, anytime he puts in one or two, it's just a, such a bonus and. Um, you know, his, his dominance on the, in the circle is, was a, another big reason why we won that game. You talked about that three-goal run from Calgary. They scored three goals uh, in a minute and 40 seconds. Does it become deflating on the bench at times when, when, when they go on those kind of runs, when you, when you think you have it in the back? Yeah, I would say, you know, two or three years ago, very deflating. But yeah. this year with this team, um, you know, there's no panic with us, and it's so nice. <laughs> You know, we've, we've been a bit of a younger team in the past, but now everyone's so mature that, you know, it's like even the coaches, like there was no panic. We kind of took a deep breath and realized there was a lot of game left to play. And that was their run. That was a good – it was just a game of back and forth, and that was theirs. And so we had to kind of get our feet settled. And and we did. We held them down. And we went a while. Like that third quarter, I don't think we – I think we scored one goal maybe for the for whole yeah, quarter. Yeah, he didn't score the head for six minutes. Yeah. 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 So um, – you know, that was, it was just a, a testament to our experience. And it's nice to be in that position rather than freaking out and starting to make plays on your own, even though we didn't score right away. I think we kind of stuck to the game plan and um, eventually, you know, wore them down at the end of the game there in the fourth. What was your take uh, on the end of the game where Cornwall scored in the empty net and they were pretty upset with him for, for doing that? I'm of the opinion that if you're going to pull your goalie, then, it's your fault for getting scored on. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's. A, I think I share that opinion. But <laughs> that, um, I think there's a couple of things that I don't want to, you know, read into it too much because I don't know why they were mad. They they can probably tell you better than I can. But yeah, in that in that play, we you know we had a a chance to um, to score. We pulled it out. Then we ran the thirty and we scored. Yeah. So it's not like we were trying to you know stick it to them. It was just like. There's nothing else to do. They kind of cut up the corners. Cornell mm-hmm. only could go down the middle, and then the shot clock was at like two or three and he scored. Yeah. So, I mean, in my opinion, whatever. Also, Calgary's a freaking good team, and they're yeah. explosive. You saw them score three goals in a minute and 20 seconds. Like, 
why would we roll in the corner and give them a yeah. chance to score? Like, absolutely not. And I don't think they would do that either. Yeah. Third thing is, you know, it's Jeff Cornwall. There's a bit of history there with Dick mm. like three years ago or four years <laughs> yeah, ago, however long that was. If that was, um, you know, Ben McIntosh, I don't think they'd have that same reaction. But because it is Jeff, and I still think they haven't um, gotten over that, which, yeah. which is, you know, a long, long time ago. But And also maybe they're just trying to spark it. I don't know. The game's over. Who knows? Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, I would uh, I wouldn't expect them to not score, and if I was in Jeff's shoes, I would have, I would have shot the ball too. So you guys now get the one zero lead, and you head back home to the friendly confines of Sastel, where it's expected to be another sellout. Um, I'm going to be there, and I'm super stoked right. to experience it. But as a guy who's been there and played there as the years gone on, you've seen the crowds get bigger and bigger. Did you ever? And I've asked guys this before, but did you ever think it would? go this quickly this well or this well this quickly no i didn't i was i was a bit of an ace there at the beginning um but you when now when you think about it it kind of makes sense i mean we've been playing good there um we're a good team we're fun to watch that city is you know they've kind of been itching for something to do there's not too much yeah. to do there and when it's not football season there, there's nothing to really fill it in so it all kind of makes sense. It just seems like it was the right fit for us. But, um, you know, the crowds have been awesome. And it's it's nice now because they're starting to understand the game. Where, yeah, yeah. You know, it's always fun when you go to, um, you know, Toronto or even, like, you know, playing in the summer and you go to Victoria and, and you do a, a good lacrosse play, like you rag the ball or maybe it's the end of the shot clock and you and you don't score on the empty net and you pull it out and, and mm-hmm. fans appreciate that stuff. So now yeah. – um, now Saskatchewan and, and Saskatoon, they're starting to understand the, the little nuances of the game. And, yeah. and that's kind of fun, too, when, you know, you make a nice play to save the ball from going back over the line and the fans, you know, get cheering for that. Yeah. Yeah. When in the past, it's like unless it was a goal or a huge hit or a fight, they didn't really care what was going on. So mm-hmm. it's kind of fun to see the fans kind of evolve, too. And apparently the um, the registration for lacrosse is up in Saskatoon. Yeah. So it seems like it's just a great fit, but hopefully uh, – I don't know how they take losers, so we better win this weekend. <laughs> Otherwise, like, I don't know if they'll welcome us back. You guys but... might get run out of town. <laughs> yeah, Kuna, yeah, exactly. I don't. <laughs> I haven't seen too many uh, uh, Saskatchewan football players around there. So yeah, um, so. have you have you gotten a chance to explore the area much, or, you, or is it just kind of one of those situations where you guys are in and out on the weekends? Yeah, it's pretty much in and out. I haven't um, I haven't been able to stay out there. Yeah, I I have been there previously, and it's, it's, in the summer it's a, it is a great city, and I'm sure there's um, you know if you, if I had the time to stay there it would be mm-hmm. great. And I think Nick Bill has had nothing to say but good things about it. Yeah, all I can you know, I've, I've been able to meet a lot of people there. That's the one thing, yeah. and everyone's been so nice. And about uh, some friends I went to school with there, and they kind of welcomed us with open arms. And the city really there's there's nothing uh, nothing bad you can say about it, other than it's a little bit flat for my likings, but. <laughs> Yeah, what can you do? That's why you live out in the coast, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, you have a river. That's gonna yeah, that's true. So you go into game two. Does the thought of the mini game ever enter the back of your mind? Um. Yeah, it does. For me, I don't know about everyone else, but yeah. I don't know. You don't. You hope. I hope it doesn't happen for our sake, but. Um, the reality is, I think they've all they've all gone to a mini game, and Calgary. It's a it's a um, it's a flip of the coin, really. Like you don't know, no no one's better than anyone really that much. Yeah. So, and with it's one game, even if you are a lot better than one team, they can just have a good night. So, it does loom a little bit, but mm-hmm. I think again with the maturity of our team, we'll just focus on you know first play, first five, first quarter, first half, and then yeah, hopefully just be able to close it out, but. When you're playing in the game, and if the score gets a little bit out of hand in the fourth, that's when you start to really think about it. But yeah. until then, you're just trying to to worry about the next play. So I think um, that's our job to stay focused on that, and that's probably why no one's won two games straight. Is maybe they yeah. haven't thinking about that mini game too much, but who knows? Well, my friend, uh, you got a few more days before you get right back at it. So I'll let you get mm-hmm. to it. I uh, appreciate you giving us some time. Stay healthy, and uh, I'll see you Saturday night in Saskatoon. Awesome. All right, thanks, Eddie. There he is, Jarrett Davis of the Saskatchewan Rush. He was a part of their Champions Cup winning team last year. He's also got a Champions Cup with the Rochester Nighthawks back in 2012. 
And you heard it here from him. You know, he he doesn't want it to go to a mini game, but for him, the thought does loom in the back of his mind, and I think it's got to be that way for a lot of people. You know, especially if the games you go down one or two goals, and you have to start thinking in your back head, "Oh crap!" Like this could go to a mini game, and all that work we've done all year long could come down to one ten-minute period. Which is just, and that's the one thing I just, I just don't like about the mini game is that it gets to like your whole season can come down to one ten-minute short shot, and you know what? You have a bad game in game two; it happens. So you would like to be able to go back and play a full game to redeem yourself, but instead, you got to come out and you got to play ten more minutes of lacrosse. And you could have a five-minute bad stretch and be down 3 nothing and not be able to get yourself back in the game. That's how quickly it can happen in those mini-games. And that's why, you know what? Like, if you make it an overtime, it, it still doesn't work because it's like an overtime after a game that's already been decided. It's, I just wish it was another full game. That's all. I just, I truly, truly do wish that they would play another full game for that third game. But, like I said, logistically, it's tough to do in the NLL right now. So, we have to live with, as I called it, the necessary evil of the minigame. And until this league goes full-time, or until they find a better outcome, or a way to decide things, then we are just kind of stuck with it. And I'm going to be okay with it, because... As I said, it's provided some fantastic finishes over the years. We talked about this man earlier in the show uh, for his work out of the back end of the Saskatchewan rush, but I couldn't not give Chris Corbeil a little bit more love. Go ahead and tell everybody I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Yes, I am, yes, I am, yes, I am. It really is a shame that Chris Corbeil is listed as a defenseman for the Saskatchewan Rush because, really, as good as he is on the back end, he is a prototypical transition player, and he will never win the Transition Player of the Year award as long as he has a D next to his name. But he could really care less about individual awards because for I Love Lucy's, the captain of the Saskatchewan Rush... It's all about team success. He's one of their anchors on the back end, but what he does is run the ball really well, and he runs it smart. He doesn't force plays. He realizes situations. He understands the time on the clock. He doesn't race down the floor blindly and throw the ball away. He takes control of that ball and makes sure that it is the most prized possession out there. But when he does run the floor with a purpose, he's deadly accurate. He had two goals on two shots this weekend. One was an empty netter, but his five points was able to tie Mark Matthews for the team lead. And it's not too often that you see a D guy tying Mark Matthews at the top of the scoring charts. He continues to be a loose ball machine. He knocks balls down, and he continues to be one of the best two-way players in all of the NLL. He should be transition player of the year, but until that happens, he's happy just being one of the best in the game. Chris Corbeil is the man. That'll about do it for another week here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. I hope you are all ready for a fantastic Game two weekend because we are going to be treated to two more fantastic lacrosse games. And who knows? Who knows? We could actually see the mini game. Bum, bum, bum. You know what? Bring it on. Let's have us some mini games because it can only be good, right? Mini games can only mean we saw a great game and we. Have to settle it one more time. 
So let's have it. Uh, thanks to Jarrett Davis. Thanks to Billy D. Smith. Uh, side note, I know we talk heavily about the National Lacrosse League at this point in time of year. However, tonight is Tuesday, and the Western Lacrosse Association kicks off its 2016 season. Burnaby hosting Coquitlam. Actually, uh, when I'm recording this right now, the game starts in about an hour and a half time. Um, all the games are streamed on Play Full Screen. You can go check them out. As uh, You can also go to Inside Lacrosse and see my WLA preview as we get set to try and crown a... Oh, we will try. We're not going to try. We're going to do our best to crown a 2016 champion. And that team will head out east for the Man Cup. Uh, but the Champions Cup is the focus of everybody right now. And we will figure out who will play in that series that will start next weekend. The end of Saturday night. My name is Teddy Jenner. At Off the Crossbar on Twitter, ted8.jenner at gmail.com is the email. Love to hear from you, and we'll talk to you in a week's time. Enjoy the games, everybody, and be excellent to each other.